questions are respectful to each other and you stick to the point so that we can be within the time limit and not over. Uh, to start us off, I would uh, like to tell you that we have Mr. Agria Kalanga with us, who is our sign language interpreter from Kenya. Um, if you need the services, he's under the name Patricia Wasuna. So you can just look towards that and you'll be able to get your sign language interpretation. Um, then we can start. Uh, Roda, welcome. Ishmael, welcome. Um, I will start with Ishmael. Please introduce yourself to the, to the team. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself. All right, thank you very much. Very good morning to all of you. My name is Ishmael Biro, as introduced by Linda. I'm the managing director for the Tamil Foreign Initiative. And so um, my role exactly is uh, to work with my team design programs that are centered for avenues, the creative and, uh, and the artistic avenues to see how we can break down the difficult conversations and information on the governances so that uh, young people can understand and at the end of the day um, understand different means and platforms for them to be used and store. Apart from using the grassroots dialects, we, uh, we also use media, mainstream and uh, online media. When I talk about mainstream media, it's uh, TV and radio. We use these as avenues to connect young people with the government's uh, officials, but at the same time, different experts on different topics such as uh, economic uh, issues, uh, governance, civic issues, for them to interact and young people to understand so that uh, they can be part and parcel of the um, yeah, let's say electro process or economic activities. So yeah, in a nutshell, uh, that's me and this is what I do. This time. Thank you very much. I know we have a lot of follow-up questions, but for now, Rhoda, take the floor. Okay, uh, my name is Rhoda Odiambo. I'm a multimedia health and science journalist working with the BBC. Uh, health and science being my core, I'm also passionate about um, human rights. So human rights, I'd look at um, anything that concerns human rights, be it uh, the boy child, children, women, um, the LGBT community, even animals, I don't discriminate. And uh, before joining the BBC, I worked for the STAR and DW, still producing content on health science and human rights. Cool, so maybe I can start with a few questions, um, because we have within the Within the development world, we really see the media as a key partner who can help gain, help us with visibility, right? So that the public has, um, we have access to the public with the information that we need to share. Uh, if, if then this relationship can be strengthened, then it's beneficial for both of us. So maybe my first question is what kind of story do you work with? Do you do with documentaries, features? What are the main uh, types of uh, stories that you work on? So when I joined the BBC, I joined, um, there's a new platform that they launched called um, Africa 2020. And in Africa 2020, basically they have African journalists telling African stories in different um, areas. So I'm in the health and science department and we mainly focus on uh, features, documentary long forms and um, discussion topics as well, taboo discussion topics that people would rarely talk about. But I also do news, radio, and digital at the same time. So depending on what um, the program I'm giving out the story for, it will go hand in hand with what the program format is. So for my uh, my platform, my program basically, 
it's uh, there are eight minutes grace, and the discussion topics are thirty minutes long. If I have to convert them to radio, that will be five six minutes for a TV package. That's uh, three minutes or two thirty, and then for digital, that's four minutes. Then for the long piece, it's uh, thirteen hundred words, with inclusive of pictures. Okay, this is this is fascinating. So let me take you back a bit. You've mentioned you have the features and you've broken down how how the different elements, if it's radio for TV um, or if it's a written piece, needs to be packaged. So my I have a lot of questions, but my first question is: when you're packaging studies, what are the key factors to consider? So, like as an organization, I would like you to highlight a story that you have. Um, what is the best approach to take? One of the things that we started doing in the development world is ensuring that we highlight beneficiary stories. So not necessarily with organizations, but the people that we are targeting and the impact that they are having in their lives, right? Mm -hmm. So is this is this commendable? Is this something that um, works for you? Then number two, when in terms of packaging stories, one of the things that we really, when we are approaching the media, one of the things that we really want to achieve is to enable, enable to change behavior, right? So we want people to stop or to do something more. Is this possible with the stories? Um, as you answer this, maybe just let me remind everyone that they can put in their questions in the chat box, and as we proceed, we will be picking them up. So yes, Rhoda, in packaging stories, how do you think is the best approach? And, and would this, when you think of packaging the story, how do we ensure then that we are able to influence behavior change within the audience? Um, that's a very important question that you've asked when it comes to packaging stories, how to identify stories and who to work with. Because, for instance, you want to do a story about um, the LGBT community. You, um, I believe that organizations need to have a strategy on who to work with in the media. Because, for instance, if, um, if I work for the National Gay and Lesbian Commission in Kenya, I will not be. I will not approach a political journalist to do the story, because one, they are forty or they are very big on politics, so they are not big on human rights issues. And you need someone who can bring out issues as either human rights, which is a basic human right, health or education wise. So once you have the strategy, and in part of that strategy, you need a pool of journalists to work with, someone who understands that area very well. And when you're coming up with this strategy, of course. The journalist will tell you, fine, you've given me this uh, contributor to talk with or um, a case study. You don't have to influence my work. That's that's one of the, the challenges that people have with journalists and the people in the development world when they work. The, the NGOs would want to, some, not all of them, would want to see, would want to influence your work at the end of the day, but they don't know that it's a partnership that you guys are in. So if you trusted me enough to the story or to go and interview the person, you should be able to trust me enough to know that I'll package it very well. So once you've done that, um, there's something that is called um, how people get tired of listening to the same story over and over again. So it's very important that we also have beneficiary stories or how we, uh, we call them, we phrase them in the media, are success stories. So how do you, of course you highlight the problem, but you also highlight that on the other hand. So for instance, you have um, 
a story like one of the stories that's actually get being uh, that is actually very hard to cover nowadays unless you have someone who has been following it for a very long time is HIV. An editor will tell you HIV has been around since 1984 since it was first discovered. There's no vaccine, so what's the new thing that's there? But if you have um, a different story highlighting the successes, the impact that uh, scientists are working on to come up with a vaccine, the, all of the other measures that they've been put in place, like for instance, the, the rollout of the PrEP, then that helps in putting the story forward. Because of course now, yes, you're highlighting the challenges, but this has been there, it still is there, and it will still be a problem if nothing is well addressed. But on the other hand, someone can be able to see this actually works. Because you're looking at two things, a problem, and you're also looking at it from a solutions point of view. Because nowadays, the research has shown that uh, in the communication area, that people also want to see a lot of solution stories, or stories that can offer a solution to a problem. So it cannot be 100%, but can be maybe 50 or 80%, but that's something that can work with, and that, that's also something that can be able to change attitudes. So this also, again, goes hand in hand with how the partnership has been created with people in the development world and the journalist. It, it also depends on how um, the journalist is and how the, the, the idea was pitched. So the idea can be pitched from the some, someone from the NGO or the journalist would be the one who has pitched the idea. So it's up to both of you to see how well to tell these stories. Because for me, if you approach me with an idea, I'll tell you, oh yes, I've seen that, this is happening quite a lot. Um, I've seen a lot of people, for instance, who've been living with a disability, but I didn't know that this is what they go through. So I, I'll put myself in their shoes and tell it and tell the story the way someone who is maybe deaf or blind would like to understand that story. Because that's the only way that the story can be able to be told much better. Okay, uh, this is interesting. So one, you know, target the right journalist, trust the journalist to do their job, uh, mm -hmm. find a new angle, approach, you know, and know, you know, target the beneficiary to tell the story. I see there's a question, we can take one question from Faith, um, and then we can go on, we can move on to the next session. Faith? Okay, right, uh, say, please write your question in the chat session, in the chat section, and then we can take it from there. Um, now, maybe my second question to you is that you talked about different packaging. So you say there's a five to six minutes, is a three minutes, is a 30 minutes. Um, I'm guessing this is informed by the audiences in the different platforms. Um, could you please speak a bit to that? Um, so the packaging, of course, um, the audience is more or less the same and also different at the same time. But the packaging is uh, basically based on the platform. So for instance, uh, because it's, if you're doing it for a news, a news outlet, uh, news is basically maybe 45 minutes, you're all battling for the same space. Prime time in Kenya and I'm pretty sure in Tanzania and a lot of African countries is will either be three minutes and you have um, a political story somewhere. So when you're doing a news package, it has to be, for TV, it has to be something like 
2.30 max. That's two minutes, 30 seconds. And here, it's, if you want to tell that story perfectly, you'd be very uh, challenged because it's a very short time. So you need to actually get all those catchy things to come out. And you need someone who is uh, able to use the aspect of data and also be able to script to picture. And I'll explain that much better when I'm talking about the long form, long form and radio pieces. So that's something that's very short, very catchy, something that can actually uh, be heard and seen in, 20, in 2 minutes 30 seconds. And one thing that we also uh, you need to remember when you're talking about TV is that uh, we tend to call, um, it's mostly like kind of people need to see, but you don't need to tell them what they're seeing. So that's what uh, scripting the picture means. Then when you talk about uh, radio, Radio would look uh, would range between um, maybe six or four minutes. But radio, one thing that you need to remember is that the audience is not seeing whatever you're seeing. So you have to the journalist has to bring the picture to the audience. So, for instance, you're to, you're doing a story about um, intersex persons. These people they're not seeing the intersex person who you're interviewing. So how you, sometimes you have to ask leading questions if the questions that the case study is answering is not answering them very well, so that the person listening on the other side can be able to understand it very well. And then for radio, it's just not about um, the interviews. You also need other things that uh, come into place. I know some of you, if you've worked with journalists, you've seen some of them just standing next to a road with a microphone just passing. And, um, they will, they will basically be recording the voice of a car, the recording maybe if you're stirring your tea, if you're doing something. So all that helps when you're drafting a radio piece. Because if you listen to it, you kind of get lost into that world and you imagine everything. So when someone is doing that report, you're basically seeing everything that, you, of course you're not seeing it, but you're visualizing it in your mind. Then now when you're talking, at, when you're looking at now the long forms, the documentaries and everything, what now we use this aspect called when you're scripting to picture because you have to it's more of, of less like you're helping a lazy person if i can use that word because you're really seeing it but you don't have to explain everything that maybe if a pen has fallen down on the screen you don't explain it very well so you can either use poetic words something that resembles why the pen is falling on the screen and why it's important for that then when you're doing it long form, it, it has very um, little voiceovers. This is what the reporter would read out. And a lot of conversations, or a lot of, um, we call them up sounds. So these are the, the responses that the case studies would be given and anyone that's been interviewed in it. So a lot of them, they'll be talking, they'll be talking about it. And um, yes, yeah, so any explanation they give, you have to have other pictures into it. So now when you're working with, um, with journalists who are doing long formats, you need to be able to understand them. Sometimes uh, I know I've worked with several uh, organizations and they'll be like, oh, it's too much work, it's too much work. But once they see the final product, then they understand why it's too much work. Because a TV journalist, um, a radio journalist, a print journalist, they're the same, but they're different because their audiences are not the same. If I'm doing a, a news piece for TV, I'll not necessarily need uh, a lot of data, 
But if I'm doing a feature article, I would need data because I, I have space to elaborate the information that you've given me in a very precise and concise way that my audience will be able to understand. And then when you're looking at TV, once I have done the main interview with a contributor or a case study, if, if he or she says something that like, I went to school or I was walking by the road and this is where the incident happened to me, maybe I got attacked, I have to go and film at the road just to, just as a, like you're able to see what they were seeing. So that when you're putting it all into edit, it's just not one person speaking. Because that's not how everything is put into place. Um, okay, uh, this makes sense. Um, I, I have always wondered that the different platforms, platforms have different audiences, but then I realized then that it has different journalists who have to tailor make the content to fill that platform to reach that audience. Uh, okay, this is this is fascinating. How sometimes how the, mm -hmm. sorry, sometimes the journalists are the same. because uh, for me I, I've had the privilege and I, I can count myself lucky to have um, worked around all platforms. So if I'm doing a package for anything, um, I prefer to do it to do everything by myself. Because I know, I know how my long form would look like. I know how my short form would look like. I know how my digital would look like. Because if you look at maybe um, a piece that was done by African Eye on the, um, the drug heroin addict in South Africa, how you see it on how you see the the 30 minute package on TV is not the same way you see the short package on Facebook. Because you have to remember, people on Facebook are very like you like it's imagine like you're on Facebook. So you're scrolling around, and then you see something interesting, then you stop. So it has to be something very interesting, very catchy, so that someone can be able to understand what what it is that they are looking at in a very fast way. But there are also um, certain uh, media houses that have managed to crack the whip on long formats and by sharing them on digital, on Facebook and Instagram. And this has worked so well for them because that's that's how they've been doing it for a very long time. But mostly it's usually short videos and it would work. Okay, so with the with the grantees that we have, the organizations we work with, a lot of them, a lot of us deal with the most marginalized and we mean people who are not necessarily in urban settings. And the natural assumption is that these people are not on social media or Facebook. Um, and therefore, we tend to gravitate towards radio as a platform to reach them. But then over the recent years, we have started doing a lot more digital, right? Um, is this a correct assumption? Is this, are we going the right way? What would you advise us? Because then we're dealing with large numbers on, and sometimes they're illiterate, sometimes they're very hard to reach. What would you advise as an approach that we take? Digital is a very good idea but it also depends on how you do it digitally. Because even as we, as everyone moves digitally, people are not watching TV a lot, they're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all the social media platforms that are available. Radio is still one of the channels that has the biggest numbers. So radio is also a plus. So if all the grantees that you're working with are still doing radio, you are guaranteed of a listenership. Because in all those settings, in all those houses, someone is someone definitely has a radio. So they'll tune in at some point and listen to it. And I'm pretty sure if you've walked around villages and um, certain homes, how you see 
people listening are listening to a radio then you'll be you'll be very sure that if i have a discussion topic and maybe have a doctor or a lawyer or an activist and, and a case study of someone who's been affected by something you'll be able to understand um, what this means now when you move to digital you have to think you have you now have to think differently because um this is what i always say when you're doing digital think of it like uh, like you're talking to your teenage girl or your teenage boy, you know, you, you're telling them, oh, this, these are your prime years, don't mess up. If you mess up, this is what will happen and everything. So think of them like, these are, these are people who are stubborn oh. and they're struggling to get content. So you're battling with diamond, you're battling with, <laughs> I don't know, with Beyonce, but you also have, you also want people to listen to what you say. So if you have, and when you're sharing posts on social media, make the posts very, very catchy that someone can see and actually understand what you're saying. Because if you're talking about, um, you're talking about blind, people who are blind, this is how they live, this is, these are the challenges they go through. And for instance, you put it on Instagram or you put it on Facebook, you just put the picture and a very long post, not explaining anything. There's no catchy phrase in it. To me, it's like work. I'm sorry to say, but um, I'm, I'm very young and I'm very old at the same time. So when I look at posts, I'm like, you guys are actually making me work. Because that's how a teenager thinks. That you want... And the key thing, this is what you're saying. So sometimes we have different audiences on, on social media, and that's what we need to think about. You have to make things very simple for them. So you have to think that they're children, and, you're, and you have to write things very precise in very catchy phrases that they're able to understand. Then when it comes to videos, um, if you're doing them on the, on the Facebook Live or Instagram Live, um, I don't know if everyone can see me. There's usually like this. Uh, like just, a, just a minute. Uh, okay, uh-huh, proceed. Like when you put your phone on landscape, this is how we are all trained to um, take pictures, do videos and everything. But you realize if all of you have um, Instagram channel, Instagram accounts and Facebook accounts, if you do this, you're making uh, the person who is watching it do a lot of work because they'll be turning their head like this. So mm. why am I, what you're doing? So when you put it like this, because this is how you'll be, this is how you read your, you scroll through your Facebook and this is how you scroll through your Instagram. So when you do a live on it, and you can actually be able to see very well what the person is talking about. And you don't need to invest a lot. Uh, if you don't have money to buy microphones or anything that can be able to be connected to it, or even a camera, you can just use a simple phone. Because what social media and what the digital space is trying to empower us to do is to be citizen journalists. So if I'm able to sit with two people and have a conversation with them, because we all get notifications, if maybe Linda is going live, Amref is going live, we'll get a notification on it. We are able to see, oh, I can follow this conversation and I can, I can actually be thinking about it. And I'll confess that that's how I've been able to get some of my stories. Just when someone goes live and I listen to the conversation, sometimes I may not be very attentive to it, by like watching it, but I'm listening to everything that I'm they're saying and I'm rooting it down and I'm able to understand everything. So by the time I'm coming to them to do a story with them, 
I know what I want, I know what I'm coming for, but I also go blindly because sometimes I can plan that this is what I'm expecting to get in Tanzania. I'm expecting to get uh, a lot of uh, backlash from the authorities. This is what the girls would say. But when you go to the ground, it's something very different. So I always tell uh, journalists who I work with and are my friends, when you go to the field, of course, yes, you know what your story is. But when you go there to school, uh, like you're black, like you don't know anything. So that by the time you get there, everything just opens up and you're able to understand because you're, you're living with that community and you're with them maybe for a period of a week or three days, and then you're able to understand them very well. So so this is a good point, because one of the things that you feel as grantees is that then you have a journalist coming into your space, and they it's not often the practice that they take the time to understand the setting, mm -hmm. what you're going through, what message you're trying to pass across. Um, yeah. So thanks for that. Uh, Malik has said that uh, for impactful stories, he agrees with you that for impactful stories for behavioral change, you need to, they need to be packaged in an innovative way to appeal to a larger audience. And mm -hmm. just from what they're competing with the Jay-Z and Diamond, you really need to have your content in order and look for the niche. Um, I want now to move to Ishmael to tell us a bit. He's worked with the broadcasting stations um, to tell us a bit about what they're doing uh, as, a grant, as, as an organization and how it has been, how has been the experience. And I'm especially interested to know what were the things that you initially thought, but when you now got into practice, realized that they are a bit different when you're engaging with the media? I would encourage the participants, please ask your question, write it on the chat. Now we want to move into the Q&A session. Um, Ismail, yes. Thank you very much. So um, media is, the, is one of the core areas that uh, we are, uh, as an organization, uh, working into. So we have uh, uh, grassroots initiatives that we use to make sure that uh, it provides an avenue for us to be able to create content that tells, tells a story, and content that can also inspire people to take the right actions. So uh, we produce TV shows, we produce radio shows, we also produce short documentaries that uh, can also be accessed by uh, media for people to sometimes learn some of the key narratives that can be applicable in their context. But also, uh, we do live broadcasts via the digital platforms on uh, like events on any initiatives that we believe can, can actually be meaningful to the uh, Tanzanian community. So I'm going to start with the mainstream media. Um, why we chose mainstream media is because we understand that um, we are operating in a development uh, uh, ecosystem whereby sometimes resources can be constrained, but the needs for people to be aware and be informed of different uh, uh, um, things that of, of their concerns, um, how they work about how the government is, is, is addressing these issues, but also what are the entry points that they can also engage to be part and parcel of the collaborators that are, uh, are providing solutions, but also as, as key partners. We develop narratives to show uh, the statuses of the, let's say if it's an employment, we look into uh, what are the specific things that are, uh, are, are, are youth, let's say, are facing as far as unemployment is concerned, but also what are the policies and development plans and regulations that are saying, but also in terms of the implementation, who has done what, and uh, uh, if the government has played these parts, 
what have uh, the non-state actors, such as the NGOs, uh, uh, business community, have been doing to make sure that uh, they're also contributing to the, uh, solve the unemployment challenge. And then we go further to uh, show, uh, despite of all these efforts that have been done, where the challenges are, but also what are people saying about these things, but also why is it that uh, the community feels that it's left out? So this is where we go to the field and collect uh, uh, voices of the, of the people that are uh, not necessarily within the employment ecosystem, for them to also to share their perspectives and sometimes they even give their opinions on uh, what they think that should be done in order to, to, to change the narrative. And so when we come back to the studio, we combine these contents that have been collected and we now produce uh, studio sessions whereby experts may be invited. The government has been also invited to sort of um, 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 respond to some of these things that are, uh, we came across during the uh, field work. And then uh, after producing this content now, because our interviewers are the youth, we try to make sure that uh, uh, the communication, the styles of discussions, presentations uh, from the team presenters themselves, they're very simple, creative, and they're relatable. Because you know, we, we're dealing with a, with a community of young people that are not necessarily interested to engage in serious matters, and yet they want uh, some positive things to happen to them. So. We break down the, the, the information in a way that uh, even uh, a young person that is uh, residing in the uh, 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 rural area can understand and relate to the specific issue. And so after that now, and also understanding that uh, the, the local media houses also lacks content, so we try to make sure that uh, uh, the content that is produced uh, can actually uh, be accepted by the media houses so that, uh, uh, you know, like this sort of partnership where they provide airtime and we provide the content because uh, the need is very big in Tanzania. Uh, uh, most of the local media houses do not have enough resources to be able to produce and, and share content. So for us, that's actually a value addition where we produce uh, data-driven content and it, it goes to the media house because of the need, media houses take this content in air. And uh, now understanding that uh, we have different uh, communities with, with needs, we have programs that are specifically targeted for the rural communities. So even the issues that have been covered, the conversations that have been uh, uh, channeled there, they are mostly uh, uh, speaking on the context of the rural community. And we have the content for the uh, uh, for the people in the urban. So even the con the cost, the context is, is different. So as an organization, why we have decided to embed media is because we are also trying to change the narrative. For a very long time, most of the uh, uh, development partners and uh, CSOs and NGOs they only use media when they want them to come and maybe cover like one minute or one minute or two minutes uh, just coverage for for people to just know that uh, there's a certain event that has happened somewhere and uh, maybe they get free interviews uh, with the organizers and then it's just covered as part of the news. But, and so this sometimes 
prompt the community not to engage in serious discussions because they don't necessarily understand and, and, and you know, get why such interventions are done in the community. So we sort of try to change the narrative in a way that we cover the stories of the things that are happening so that the community can understand first the root cause and then also see the best practices so that if a certain community, let's say in Kilimanjaro, is facing this problem and this is what they are doing, this is how they collaborate with different stakeholders, this is how now uh, the solutions uh, uh, are being uh, are created. So, so you are taking so you are taking a bottom-up approach. So you don't have necessarily the media. You don't want to necessarily just let them just come and pick what they want, but you giving issues that are important to the community, right? Yes. Yes. Maybe I have I have a question on uh, um, behavior change. One, have you seen this having a positive impact? But also there's a so please one second answering that if you've been able to see behavior change because that's the main reason we go to media to see behavior change have you been able to experience that in your program and then number two vincent is asking how do you manage the push and pull that arises between the journalist and then and you as a development practitioner on how the story is to be delivered to the general public right um how have you been able to manage that yeah. And have you so, seen uh, behavioral change? Two minutes. Yeah, yeah. so uh, in terms of the behavior change, uh, you know, it's a process that measure uh, the change of behavior in just two or three months. It's a, it's a process. So understanding that and also understanding that uh, sometimes we work in the time-bound projects. So for us, what we, we try, what we try to do, we try to invite in, let's say, the youth community that we know like they are primary beneficiaries sort of um, engage from the content creation, uh, uh, the conversation itself, then uh, interact with the government members, so that they, they sort of become like our test, like a, like a sample of, of young people that, uh, that have been trained to understand and uh, analyze the issues. And then after that, uh, know how to constructively engage with the government and other key stakeholders uh, discussing and, and finding solutions to the problem. And at the end of the day, now them working on disseminating this information in these different uh, 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 sectors. So, and have you been seeing them doing that after yes. when you do this? Uh -huh. Yes, like this, this one program uh, that it was about uh, constitution, whereby we, we understood that the artist community does not necessarily uh, understand how the constitution works, but also don't know how to engage. So we worked with them for the period of six months where we trained and mentored them how to read and understand the constitution. And then uh, these artists who are the dancers now started uh, uh, working on choreography and messaging so that they can use their talents to deploy these messages. But also after maybe uh, entertaining the people, now sort of uh, uh, engage in uh, like uh, roundtable discussions, which are broadcasted now on the mainstream media. So that uh, you see, like people have been uh, sort of um, uh, entertained, and then people are now like drawn to the to the discussions. So, uh, but and then these guys are like uh, translating the next moves that they've been doing to the people to show this how does that relate to the, the government, and then that oh. way, yeah, but in a way like okay. interest interest more people to engage, but also it makes it more fun to discuss about the government because. 
this is how they cover it. They cover it in a very relatable manner. It's not so, just a, a document that people have to read, but then something they can engage with. Yes, yes. Now okay, so to if, the pull and, and pushback. Yes. Honestly, I must say that uh, uh, that's, that's still a challenge. Because, um, uh, you know, like taking a group of, let's say, young people that have never interacted with the, uh, let's say, this, uh, the laws, the regulations, the policies, and, you know, other like, very hard documents, and taking them through, mentor them to understand this, and then start getting this content, starting to create this content. It, 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 it takes a lot of time, and most of the time... No, so, so not necessarily, sorry, Ishmael, so not necessarily with the, with the young people, when you're dealing with the media houses, so you've developed your content and you want to give yeah. it to them. Do you have a lot of push and pull between you and the media house? Then how are you able to, to address that? Yeah, so um, so usually it takes time to be able to get the contents uh, 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 accepted by the media houses. And so most of the time what we usually do, before we even started producing, we initiate meetings to sort of um, discuss the, the, the possibility of having a partnership and sort of I, I understand what are the needs this media house is having. And so when we produce it for the content, we also try to sort of create an environment where you can also accommodate the needs of this specific media house because you know these guys are surviving uh, 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 when they get uh, sponsorships and maybe slots to, 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 to sell their airtime. So when we are able to understand their needs, we create a content that can also like benefit them, then it sort of becomes easy for us to uh, secure these partnerships and, and be able to get uh, the content, uh, get aired right on the spot. And, uh, we always Sorry. enter in a, in a like 60-40 partnership, whereby we produce content, they air, and uh, when it comes to, let's say, uh, uh, maybe the show has got uh, the, the sponsor, and if the sponsor has been identified by the media house, the media house takes the 60%, and the uh, and, and, and TBI gets the 40%, and that forms like a sort of, of element of sustainability. But even when the, maybe if it's a project bound, when the project ends, the show can still go on because there's some resources that have been continues to be secured to sustain. So what I hear you, so what I hear you saying is appreciating that there are commercial entities and ensuring then that interests are factored in in the engagement. Maybe a question I have for for Rhoda is how you know in a situation where it's not content that you're selling, how would that work? But before you answer that. Uh, there's a question from Rasika. She's asking, uh, maybe this one, Rhoda, would be the best place to answer as you answer the other question. Um, so, Rhoda, Rasika is asking, uh, we are wondering if an NGO, uh, just a second, um, if an NGO wanted to connect with a journalist on a topic or issue, what is the appropriate way to connect or pitch the idea? Ah, okay. So, for that one, um, what's okay? So now I'll ask, what which NGO does he or she work for? Uh, so Rastika works for just a second. Tewi elderly. They they are working with um, they are they deal with the elderly community, right? And so they as as a key audience, right? How do they ensure they are able to to reach the media, a journalist in this case? Okay. 
So why I asked which organization they work with, it's because then it's easier for me to link one and two together. So for instance, because you're dealing with the elderly, so of course, some of the issues that I'm assuming, because I like being blank all the time, is that talking about access to health, how they live, their conditions of living, and whether they're receiving any uh, grants the government is supposed to give them out. So you're looking for a journalist who understands and who is maybe a feature writer, but then they'll be able to bring out the issue very well if they're doing it for print. And also if they're doing it for TV or radio, you need to look for someone who does features. Or if someone who does news and features at the same time, because that person is able to um, give a broader perspective of the issue that's going on and what's happening. So that is then, because if you, if you, if you just decide that um, you're going to give a, 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 a business journalist or a political journalist, the issues are not going to come up so well because to them they'll be like, this is this is not a story. Like it's not something that needs to be told. It's the same thing for me. I did politics for a year, but I was only interested in legislation politics because I love law. But if you take me to political camps, I will not do anything there because I don't know that type of politics. I don't know how to. So the, so, so the concern is so yes. Let's say we've identified this person who does features yeah. is law. And they are interested in health issues, and therefore, as someone dealing with the elderly or mental issues with the elderly, there's someone who would be interested. How do we reach them? Is it an email? Is it a phone call? Do we stalk if them? Yes. Yes. Nowadays, uh, thanks to social media, which people use badly and also very well, you can reach a journalist anyway. So, if this journalist maybe has a handle on Facebook, has a Facebook account rather, on Instagram or. A Twitter account a handle, then you can be able to reach them on Twitter. If not, you can drop them an email. If not, if you know someone in the organization who can connect them to them with an email address or a phone call, then you can be able to call them. Sometimes uh, when you call a journalist, um, they might be very busy. They will not uh, be there and then to be able to uh, what you call like respond to anything that you're saying. But I believe that if if you've called a journalist and they feel that you've actually given them a good story, they always note it down and they'll call you back if they didn't have enough time to call you back. So when you now talk to them, of course you'll be telling them that this is what we want to do, how can we do it together? Then of course the journalist will now be asking questions of how rampant is this? Because now you're an organization and you these are people that you work with a lot. How rampant is this? You have like maybe some sort of data, which is very important, or maybe research that you've worked with that can be a okay. story. All right, so then we, we try using social media, the network that we already have within the organization, you know, yeah. look for their emails and reach them. Um, which, which, is, which then makes me ask, what happened to press releases, right? Uh, do they still work? Is it something that is, is used? Press releases are still used if you're doing news, because uh, news has to be very fast. So maybe, uh, like for instance, budget day just uh, passed last week, and uh, I'm sure in all the three countries, uh, the prices, the tax on alcohol had gone up. So basically that means alcohol prices had gone up. So a lot of uh, alcoholic companies and companies had issued press releases. So then that would work. But you also have to keep in mind that um, for organizations, if you're doing a, a press release, 
sometimes if you want your story to get good coverage and by good coverage is like you need it to be extensively well told accompany the press release with maybe a report or a link to because you might send a press release and most journalists i know that i'm close with they just don't rely on the press release because a press release will only have an info page of maybe 400 words 700 words but if I condense that to a piece, that's like maybe three sentences, which will not help me. So what, as you send your press release at the same time, also send a report, a report to explain more what is happening, like data-wise or research that has been conducted, something that can be also able to influence something. Because something can be okay. released and it doesn't form a story per se, but the, press, the story can only be formed maybe in the last sentence, that's why not only a press release is important, even a report is important. Because you also have to... Uh, so when we are targeting people, we do all those uh, avenues, but if you're doing a press release, make sure you have supporting documents to give a clear picture of what you're looking yes. for. Okay, yes. so another question from Mary. Um, how do you gain trust of your ta target audience, especially for a startup organization working to influence behavior change? Because then this is not a very well-established organization, for, for instance. It's not like COPE where everyone knows about it. And uh -huh. especially for people like Mary who are from Flon, dealing with women in transport, we are still new to having female drivers, female conductors, right? So how do you, you, know, how do you gain that trust? Well, by constantly talking to them. Because um, I once met someone at 8, 9 p.m. at night and we talked, we kept on talking for a month only for me to realize that it's actually a very big story. So you constantly need to just talk to the person. Be able to tell me what is it that women face in the transport sector. Yes, I know that, or I know and I don't know at the same time that there are a lot of female drivers, a lot of, most of them are conductors or anything. But what's it like being a driver, being a conductor? What are some of the issues that they face? And because we're looking at gender equality at the same time, so can they be able to show us where they are not equal? Or for instance, in Kenya, and I don't know how Tanzania and Uganda, like most of our matatus or taxis are in circles. So maybe can they, can they show us a circle that only has women? Because there are Uber drivers who only drive women passengers. And that story has already been told. So can, can Flown be able to show us this circle only has female drivers and female conductors. How, 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 why did they decide to do it? Is it because of the sexual harassment that women go through in public transport, or how do they go about it? Because there's also so, one. So, are you trying to say they need to justify themselves? That the for you to for to build that trust with your audience, you need to justify why you exist in the first place. Not, I will not call it justifying per se, because. Um, for instance, Flown has approached me. They want to tell me more about um, women in the in the public transport sector. So now I'll ask them. I've seen a couple of women who are drivers, who are conductors. But please tell me you've been you've been interacting with them because you already have a small organization with them. So what do these women tell you? Maybe they'll tell you it's hard to wake up. Sometimes you're verbally abused, sometimes you're attacked. It's very hard maybe to get a license. Then that again now, I'll start thinking about now along those lines. 
because I've already known what Flown works, what Flown works for, what it does, the type of women it has. Then now, if I, because that's now what you call like creating a rapport. Because you yeah. see, if right now, because if, if you tell me that, I'm now able to think uh, journalistically, like what is that? What is Flown all about, and how how can I be able to tell that story? Then now, if okay. I pick the idea to my editor, I'm able now to say, there's this organization that I met up with, they're not very big, but they're raising valid points. And oh. we all need to remember that you don't have to be like cook to be known world, just one person or two people. So if it can start small, then at least you're able to understand what it means. Like for instance, the, the, the female Matatu designer who designed a Matatu by herself. That was only one woman doing it, who was now invading the space of one graphic designer that Kenya has known for a very long time. But it also then depends on the on the treatment. So if Long keeps on um, telling telling me that this is what it means, this is what it means constantly, then now I'm able to think of my treatment of the story. So then I'll say that, okay, if you get me a female conductor who has been maybe abused, or someone who is actually fighting to be not to be abused and the struggles, then I'm able to tell the story much better and how I tell my story. Okay, thanks thanks for that. Um, all these questions are coming from you, Granty. So if you have a question, uh, type it in the Q&A section. Uh, now we will have uh, Ken. Kenneth uh, has a question. Um, and I know he has been nominated, he was nominated for the African Media Network on Health Accountability and Excellence. Um, mm -hmm. Please tell us about that, and then you can ask quest your question. Kenneth? Hello, uh, thank you so much. I'm Kenneth, uh, calling from Tanzania. Um, uh, I, I would like to say quickly first that the, uh, we are getting so informative information from the speaker. That's great. Congratulations to all speakers. Maybe one thing which uh, is, is, is missing is the importance of um, listening, listening to, to the audience, listening to the audience and making the audience just take their way in terms of uh, like what issues are they facing? How do we capture those issues from the, from the audience? That makes it powerful. Hello. Powerful story. Most of the Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, now we can hear you. Continue. Hello. Okay, I'm saying that uh, what we miss in most cases is sometimes when 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 journalists write the stories, they also interfere the stories by getting in the story. Uh, their values penetrate into the story and hence uh, blocking blocking what we would want the, the the audience to hear, and perhaps. That is a challenge which most organizations are facing. And that's why I'm asking this question, how then can we strategically engage the media? But as in most cases, we tend to engage the media through press releases or inviting them to, to an event, they cover the event and they go, which I find them missing the bigger picture of what the, the, organ, I mean, the organization wants to achieve. How can the panelists advise us working with the media to strategically engage them so that they understand the bigger picture which we want to achieve, and hence use Thank their you. journalistic journalistic skills to help us achieve that. Thank you so much, Kenneth. And and I know this is a question that many people have. Um, how do you know? 
how do we retain that relationship and how do we, how do we pass that message across the way we need it to be passed across brother i know you mentioned that when we are getting a journalist to come in we should you know we should we should give them the space to share to to investigate for themselves and to answer to write the story as they see best fit but honestly how do we ensure that we don't um we don't lose them i see that we have lost uh Jordan there for a second uh just a moment um uh Roda can you hear us Sorry about that. Um, please keep sending in your question. This is very informative. Yeah, there she, there she is. Ah, so Rona. While, while Rona is, uh, is, is connecting, I can try to respond to some of the questions. Yes, please. Yeah. Oh, she's back. Yes, Rona. How no, do we make... No, Ismail can ask. Can respond first. Ah, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, the first and uh, the most one of the most important thing is that uh, yes, it's very true, and I've seen that trend in Tanzania, whereby it's mostly happening that uh, the media houses only come, maybe stay for two minutes, cover, and then they go because they're in the process of collecting stories. So we need to first to understand that is their business model. It's it's a, it's a trend that works for them, and so if we are to uh, maybe sort of uh, improve on that aspect. We need to build relationships. Uh, as the program starts, it's hard sometimes to get all the media houses on board. But uh, it's important as the, uh, let's say, we, when we are starting to implement the program, we are defining the stakeholders to sort of um, identify one or two media uh, potential partners that uh, they can come on board of the program and approach them at the beginning of the program to sort of understand no, no, no. from the program perspective uh, what are the issues that are these media houses will be interested also to, to capture and have it as part of their program because uh, we should know that uh, most of these media houses do not only just cover the news they also have some other programming like uh, they also produce documentaries on different sectors so if they see that um, from the program that we are using, there's an aspect that a uh, uh, TV show or radio show that they're producing can, can actually benefit by getting the content. It's actually easy to have them on board and sometimes cover, come and cover beyond what they cover on the news. That's just one aspect uh, uh, to get it right. But uh, Thank you. The, uh, yeah, the second one is, is what is what I've, I've, I've advised. We have some other NGOs that are also uh, working that are heavily involved in media. So they need also to be brought in as, as key partners so that uh, if an organization maybe is not so strong in uh, producing media, they sort of collaborate with the other NGO that is good in media because um, these this, this media producers need content and most of the time they buy content. And uh, it's easy to have people on board on the media, on the mainstream, a radio already, when they see that um, the content that is covered have life, that have sort of interactions, and have experiences from the field. Once they see that, they can actually relate to, to, uh, to such stories because these are the events that are happening to them on a day-to-day basis. Oh, thank you so much for that. 
Um, Rhoda, I know we are going um, over time, so I'm going to ask us to give us an extra uh, seven minutes so we can finish at 12.10. We have two more questions from Malik and uh, Su Chang, uh, but Rhoda, you can answer that and then we move to the next question that we can close the session. Okay, so Kenneth has actually raised a, a very important uh, response and a question at the same time. Um, it's very difficult to identify stories, especially if you're if you're doing the news because it's actually very, very, very fast. So you only come there for what you need and then you go. But you also need to remember that if you don't uh, talk to these people, how are you going to know that um, this is what they're interested in? So of course, yes, um, maybe you have a press release like today is a is a global day on sexual violence, awareness on sexual violence, and you've called a, and you've, you've actually called a press conference about it. So if I come there for a press conference, you sometimes people don't know that something is happening elsewhere and something is happening elsewhere. Of course, that's not you to figure out because you need news at the end of the day, but also try and see how do I make sure that my story stands out more. Maybe you, I come to the press conference I find the, the guest who was speaking had very good points. You can actually identify someone who was very keen by how, in terms of how, what questions this person is asking. Then you'll be able to tell, oh, this person is actually well informed in the topic. And if you see them rushing around, uh, rushing out in a hurry, just drop them a card or give them a card. Just tell them that we'd like to have a conversation more about this. Is this something that you're interested in? Or maybe before the, the press conference starts or immediately after it ends, you can have small talk with the journalist. Just see how, uh, if, they are, if they understood anything or not, because you also have to remember that, of course, yes, there are people who, this is what they do. They just do health, they just do science, just do education. But sometimes if you talk to them uh, with the language like up here, you know, NGO language, my editor does not know NGO language. and. Um, my audiences don't know NGO language. So if you talk to me in a language that I'm able to understand, then it becomes very easy for us to communicate. Because it's, it's, it's a, it's a two-way approach. It's not one way. OK. Yeah. Uh, this makes sense. So you know, identify someone who was keen, have discussions, you know, small talk with the journalist, but not any, no, no acronyms, abbreviations, no conk language because the editor needs to understand what is happening and the audience at the end of the day also needs to understand what you're saying. Okay, this is good. Um, Malik has raised a question on the use of participatory video, um, which uh, which is, he says, and rightly so, that it is key for behavioral change, right? Does, does Is there space for participatory video in the media? I feel it's something that Ishmael is doing in the, in the project. Uh, but is this something that you, for instance, as BBC, are uh, engaged with? When you say participatory video, what do you mean? So where it's not just, um, and, and I would, Madam, please correct me if I'm wrong, but how it's not just, you know, when you go and do a film, right? So you it out, but no, you have the people involved in the content. So if it's a feature, it's not just the journalist or the host talking through it, but then you have the the beneficiaries in it. There's active engagement. There's if it's the active, it is no, it is the message is passed through what they are doing, what the action is that we do. Uh -huh. 
Um, so um, the question is: It on digital or on TV or mainstream? Or mainstream. On, so we are used to to TV, but uh -huh. mainstream, right? But there's now space in the digital platform, right? Um, and I think in the in the digital side, there's more room for that because I've seen, for instance, if it's in the film industry, you have mm. Superman released. There are uh, uh, merchandise going out. There is uh -huh. treasure hunt, you know, that within the film industry, people actively ensure that the audience is engaging yes. with the content, right? Yeah. And it has really helped them with their sales. I think uh -huh. it's something that can be used within the development world, right? Um, where now then there's a call to action or there's, then there's yeah. back in the audience. Uh -huh. it, it actually is because um, social media is right now is very big on engagement. So you can be, um, let me use, let me, I'm just using examples of people who are very big. So you can be who? You can be Wema Sepetu in Tanzania. You have uh, two million followers, but you don't have engagement. So basically that means that your information is going uh, to a wall or something. But if you have like someone who is constantly engaging the audience, then that, that is what is measured on Facebook. And if, if, you, if you're doing your, your monthly or your quarterly reports, then your engagement levels will be very high because that would mean that, that means that your information has actually reached out. If you look at organizations who have been going live, if they have events, if they have press conference, or if they have um, discussions and they're on Facebook and Instagram, even on a Twitter, on Twitter, if they have tweet chat, the engagement actually matter because I do not want my to send a comment or to respond to something and you don't uh, respond to it. Then basically that means you just put your 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 phone there and you did nothing and you did nothing to it. You just saw my comment and that's not what we do. Because even in the BBC when we have uh, discussions on Facebook Live or when you have discussions on Instagram, we we, we always uh, respond to the comments that have been issued. So if it's something that we can respond to, we respond to it. If it's not, we actually say, uh, this would be best answered by a doctor. Because at the end of the day, we have to remember, we are not doctors, we are not on anything, all we are are communicators. So if you're able to break the barrier in terms of uh, spreading fake news and misinformation, which is very, very big, then that's a big plus in how you engage with your audiences. So participation is a plus. So if you're doing that, please keep doing that because then that gives you more visibility and your audiences already know what you're doing. So if I meet with someone who has seen you online and someone will say, all these people do a lot of uh, engagements weekly, monthly, they have live uh, they have live posts every day and they actually have good posts. I have a reason to follow you because then, then that means I'll be able to get something new from you every day. Because it's so same. Yeah. So we should engage our audiences on on the platform because then it allows the market growth, right? Yes, it allows it. Because even when you do it on radio, when you're having the discussion with the presenter and the contributor, case study at the same time, you'll notice at some point that people will call it. People will call in to say, okay, so how do you do this? Because you you find that some people actually are dealing with the same issues back at home, and then this would now help them in knowing how to deal with them. Because now that person... All right. Uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, the next question I'd like to give it to Ishmael. 
Um, Shuchan, who's also from, uh, from Step by Step in Tanzania, is asking, how do we connect with journalists from across uh, across geographical and cultural boundaries? You know, how do you how do you go about that? All right. Um, so um, our approach is always that uh, uh, when we bring the, the stakeholder mapping, and if let's say the program is is happening in, in more than two regions, and we know that the media has power to go across uh, just one 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 region, and uh, we know that sometimes we do not have enough resources to travel up the up the countries. Be able to collect content. So during our mapping, we identify partners uh, that uh, from the media houses that we know we can collaborate with in content creation, but also we can collaborate in, uh, in, in the producing and also for them pushing the message in their regions. And so um, one of the things that we do, we identify uh, uh, skills needs uh, by running the consultations with these uh, journalists. And then after understanding their skills needs, we organize for the capacity building. Well, now when we organize the capacity building workshops, this is where we also do uh, sort of a co-creation of content needs for that specific region to understand that if let's say we are to cover the stories, how can we be successful in terms of conveying the messages and get the right participation of the people in that respective uh, region? And also ask the specific journalist that uh, what role can you play. And uh, so here, what I'm hearing you saying is then you, you look which at the region which you are going to and see what kind of material they consume or what would be relevant to them. So then the first, but I've also had you and, and the question is to connect with the journalist. How do you get that journalist to help you up with that region? But I've had you something. You said something at the touch. You said that you. Some of these media houses cover a wide range. So maybe one of the strategies is targeting the media houses that are in those regions um, where they work with. I know, for instance, one of the grantees who work with, um, who are called Mbaki, Namunak, work with the radio station, which means then they are able to target the, the people who they need to reach, right? So for you, has that, is there another strategy other than working with farms with reach that region? Yes, uh, it, it's, it, now we have another strategy, but also I want to say there, um, just identifying the media house uh, that covers, let's uh, say, the widest uh, uh, geography is not is not like enough factor to help you to get your content uh, content out there. When you identify the media house, you also need to see who can be the potential supporter within that media house that you know whenever you approach. They can always help you to push the agenda within, but also they can also help you sometimes to just go to the field when you're not there to be able uh, to cover some of the stories. Because you know, uh, in this region, there are different events that are happening every day that could potentially be relatable to the message and the content that you're covering. So at the end of the day, once you have identified the key stakeholders within the media house, the key people like, let's say, you, you're, you're in good terms with the, with the chief editor, and you know that uh, there's one one or two uh, presenters or content collectors within that specific media house that they're always uh, supportive and they're always uh, uh, ready to work with you. Then it becomes easy because, um, you know, once they go to the field and collect the stories, they would also want to, to push their stories to go out there. So it becomes a, uh, like a win-win uh, situation where we get our content aired, but also for them, they also see that uh, 
there's something that uh, they're also gaining uh, in terms of uh, their stories uh, getting uh, featured in, in their you. platforms. Thank you very yeah. much. Um, uh, Rada, uh, we have Emma who is a question to you. How do you explain the disconnect scene between reporters and editors? And how can this be addressed, especially within the print media? Emma works for media or NGO? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Oh, Emma works for Inland. It's an NGO uh, in the coast. Uh, yes. I think I know it and, yeah. So, um, it's, a very, it's very hard because sometimes um, people would think that you have stories, uh, of course you have the story, but when you go into the editor, the editor will be like, okay, this is not a story, and then they kill it. So you have to keep fighting for your story to be published. Basically because an editor believes um, a story about uh, youth being discriminated is not important. A story about um, refugees is not important. I mean, they've been there all along. It's not important. So what's new? But when you try and argue that politics has also been there forever and ever and ever, and people don't see the editors. Editors will not see why this needs to be done, why this is important than the other. So. A lot of journalists would actually be very, are actually very, um, are struggling a lot to get their content outside, especially now if you're dealing with an editor who doesn't know that this is also important. So it's very, sometimes people think we kill stories because we want to. It's not because we want to. If someone says the story has no space, we actually keep fighting for it constantly and constantly and constantly until it sees the light of day. In some instances, it comes dies. By dying, I mean it never sees the light of day. So it's a struggle. So for editors, they've had a lot of sessions with um, NGOs and also uh, media council in Kenya and I believe in Tanzania as well, just to try and understand that, yes, these topics have been covered, but they also need to see the light because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, these are stories and this is where our audiences will come from. Because if we only focus on politics, um, in Kenya right now, a lot of there's a lot of um, fatigue because we are tired of seeing politics every day, every day on our screen. Like when um, when a week ago, when they published the story of the twins who were switched at birth uh, at a public hospital in southwestern Kenya, a lot of people were actually reading that story because they were able to relate and say, "This this is actually what happens." And if you're able to see that on the front line of one of the local dailies then it actually means that this is what our listeners would want. Because if you look at the circulation of papers right now, a lot of people are tired. They don't buy newspapers. Why? Because it's always about politics. A lot of people will tell you, we don't watch news because it's always a lot of politics. But okay. if, you find that if, if you see something something different, maybe you put um, you've put um, a feature or something interesting and you actually see the comments on it the next day or immediately on social media, then that should be able to inform the conversation from the NGOs and the editors at the same time that this is the kind of stories that our audiences want. Yes, politics will always be there, but this is what people want. So a mixture, a mixture of both would hurt. And, and this is a line Yes, it's something there. So, um, first, 
we let, let's just be uh, realistic and committed uh, and uh, honest with one component. Well, the, the first role of the media houses is to inform yes. uh, uh, the community. And another thing, all these media houses are looking to make businesses out of out of the audience they are generating. And so, editors they are there to make sure that uh, the content has enough quality to first protect the the reputation of the organization, but also to serve these two needs that are there. So. Because, uh, you know, like the different media houses and also the competition is there. So they know they have to inform, they have to generate enough audience, but also they have to sustain themselves so they can stand against the competition so that at the end of the day, they can generate revenues to be able to continue operating. So all these factors sometimes, you know, like to come together to push uh, 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 senior teams in the media houses to to, to determine whether this content should like is, is ready or is strong enough or is creative enough to go out there to, to serve all these three needs. So when we are thinking of uh, creating contents or uh, you know like uh, pushed for for the contents, we need also to have conversations with uh, let's say editors to understand. At, at this point in time, what is the focus of this uh, media house? What exactly are, are they looking to push out there? So that uh, when you sit down and start working on your stories, you know clearly that uh, my story is part of the fact that uh, there is a certain objective that I have, individually or as an organization. It's also going to serve these needs of this media house this way, in a way that you know when you take it there, they will not uh, turn it down. That's the truth and, and, and reality of, of, of how the, this industry works. So it seems then that the most critical thing is to have those discussions with the editors, right? Uh, for the sake of the NGOs who are pushing content and for the sake of the journalists who are pushing content. Yes, right? yes. This, yes. Is, this is also what Melan was asking. And she's saying, you know, matters of disability are of least interest to most journalists because maybe it's seen as complex, right? Um, since they can't understand, but how do we demystify this notion? So now the question has moved from the editors to journalists. Um, if, for instance, the, the, there's a health specialist, but it doesn't mean that they're all, most people find politics more interesting than health issues. How do you demystify it to journalists that it is something of interest, right? Even as we are trying to convince the editors. Um, was that to me or to Ismail? You can you can take that. <laughs> okay. So the, the the most important thing would be maybe to add on what uh, Ismail was also saying, because um, if you if you push a story a lot, you know people have this notion of oh you're getting kickbacks from the NGOs, you're getting kickbacks. So we, journalists also get attacked a lot of times. But you keep you keep on telling them these people the least they did was take me to Turkana because. I mean, there's no funding from the company, so they were able to do that. I got my story, so there's no kickback. The only kickback is the story that will be published, that's all. So people also need to understand that that actually happens quite a lot. But in terms of um, putting the health topics out there, when you when you want to pitch a story now, for instance, um, let me think of a topic that would work. So maybe a disability story. Um, a colleague of mine actually published a, pay, uh, a story, was published on The Nation a while back, about a lady who was, um, who was living with a disability, but was also HIV positive. 
So two things came out. This person is living with a disability and is HIV positive. So how the treatment of the story matters and how you tell the story. Because if you read how, how news is done and how features are done, then that, there's, a, there's a total different way on how you do it. So if you're looking for someone to, to have the conversation move forward and you want to talk about disability, just try and brainstorm an issue that has never been tackled before, like that one now for disabilities, someone who's living with a disability and someone who's HIV positive. So for instance, you can pitch for an idea of um, someone who is uh, who's deaf. This is someone who's actually deaf, but someone has actually come up with an application to help um, to, talk, to talk about sexual health. See now the conversation now is sexual health among people living with a disability. It's very hard. So you have someone who's deaf on the panel, you have someone who's very young and maybe a parent, and then someone maybe like a specialist or someone who understands this area very well. Then now the issues that will come out is people have been talking about sexual health for a really long time, but some community has been left aside. Because when I when I did um, when I did that story about uh, deaf and sexual health, I didn't know that how you how you talk about sexual health in America is different like how you talk about it in Kenya. There's a lot of politics again involved in it. There's also a lot of politics so like you have to sit with people and say, is it okay, forgive my French, is it okay if I use breasts as this? So guys are actually talking about it to say, no, that's not an appropriate sign, you need a proper signage for it. So if you have people who are on board, and, and can be able to see these are the challenges that people, these people actually go through, then the story actually moves forward. Because no. then now you think... But Rhoda, issue is not necessarily even um, that we don't, like for instance, Menlen works for an organization, Sense International, that has both deaf and blind, right? So even the sign, how do you communicate to such a person? I know for instance, we have faith, who they're trying to show that, um, Ladies who are physically disabled uh, doesn't can be, you know, they are usually considered asexual, but they can be sexual, right? So they have photos of them modeling a very uh, provocative images, right? So there is a way we can make the the content uh, quote unquote sexy. So how yes. do we how do we recruit a journalist, right? So we can do all this from our end, but how do we recruit a journalist to cover this story? So, because you've talked about two things, uh, the, the aspect of asexuality, which is actually what a lot of people are talking about it right now, because yeah. they don't believe that it exists, yet it does exist, it's just that people have not been talking about it a lot. So from, from that organization, if I was to reach out to them and ask them, okay, because of course they know what it is, I know what it is, but it's important that it comes from them. So what they think, what they would want a sexuality to be defined as. Because then now it brings out the aspect of choice of word. Because there's some words that they use and it's not uh, friendly to them. So then that comes so what, out. What you're saying is then that we work with you as a journalist to make sure our message is passed across appropriately. Yes. But now in terms of it being appropriate, you have to, okay, as a journalist, you also have to balance it out, that you're not influencing my work, but you're just telling me that. It's like, for instance, um, 
you it's not like the people in who are trans they don't want to be called transgender it's just the trans community so that that i also didn't know that but when i was told that i say i accept it i didn't know and i was told that it's a, it's a it's a phrase that has changed so choice of words also matters and then when you approach them of how you talk to them you basically create an apo with them and if you picked maybe someone like ismail or someone like linda and you know that linda understands this topic so well then you know that you you've actually gotten the right person to work with because all they'll ask you for is fine you're dealing with people who are blind you're dealing with people who are deaf so what is it like being blind so someone oh, will tell you um i remember someone uh, someone oh, I, have to to cut you short. i have to cut you short there because now we're running out of time okay. um i think think of one uh, final closing words for two seconds as i ask my to you know last question paul asked how can we develop an effective communication strategy to cover success stories is my two minutes and then you can wrap up Yes, man, we can't hear you. Yeah. yeah. A good way to develop a best communication strategy is by making sure that uh, before before even before it even comes 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 into life, there's enough research that have been done. But uh, like sometimes it's important also to just run like a test. Uh, with your potential audience, just ask ask them what they need. Uh, what ask them how they understand things. That in a way give you perspective. Say, okay, if I'm to use, let's say, uh, the online media, it's because you know clearly that uh, this is this is where most of my audience are. Most of the time, we, we tend to create communication plans by just sitting uh, behind our desks, thinking that uh, this is uh, this is the this is a platform that can be useful. To the people, while exactly you did not take time to really interact with them to, to see uh, if they are to, to engage, how would they like to be uh, engaged. That is just one thing. And the second thing. Um, and the second and last thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Second and the, and the, and the last thing. Just for me, I would say that uh, we need to uh, change and transform from how we think of using media to uh, narrate our stories. We need to uh, not only just focus on using media for news coverage. We need to start think, go beyond and, and start creating content that uh, when they go out there, people can see from the examples and, and you know, like can, can get the relevance and, and relate to their day-to-day -day lives. Uh, people use using drama in, in, in TV shows and radio shows to sort of contextualize issues for people to understand on a day-to-day basis how this speaks up. That in a way that um, when they even think and start thinking about their, their environment, they see the relevance between uh, the issues that have been discussed with what exactly is happening on the ground. And that sometimes can come to conversations. And people sometimes can take those things from the grassroots now and come to the online media or use the uh, polls such as uh, SMS text to, to want to, to find more about how to maybe uh, engage more into this kind of thing. So media should be used as a conversation starter so that uh, we can continue to pick issues and channel them uh, 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 in different areas, but also to just show and share the best practices in other areas. Thank you, thank you. So what, guys, I have launched the evaluation form. Please take a minute to look it through, fill it out quickly before you exit. 
Um, so, final word is mine. Any last, last, last thing you want to say in two seconds? <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you very much. I think uh, media has a very strong uh, way of telling the story and simplifying uh, uh, things that are given to do on day to day basis. And as organizations, we need to start adding more budget budgets on the media communications because this is an area that mostly is not well utilized. So once we start putting enough budget, then it means we can recruit right people and we can use uh, right uh, platforms to, to reach out to our communities. And also, it can serve as a, as a platform to uh, uh, generate conversation, also get feedback from the audience that we are serving. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, Rhoda, final words? Okay. So I'll add on to what uh, Ismail has said because that's important, considering that uh, most journalists come from uh, working organizations that don't have budgets. So if you're able to have like a small budget for journalists, and also when you use this budget, don't just call them to tell them what your organization is doing. Like tell them maybe uh, we want to do this story in far in the northern parts of Uganda, Tanzania, or Kenya, and this is what you're likely to get. This is the story. That's a plus because they know when they go there, they'll know more about your organization. And two, they've killed two birds with one stone. They get a story of what uh, the similar objective that both of you have. Two, when you're pitching to and talking to journalists, very use very simple language because that's the language they're going to use to communicate it, to communicate the information. And also, if you have any solutions that you feel you can share with them, uh, like what you're talking about, the beneficiaries. Now you see the language is different of how the language in the development and NGO world, and also use of data. So if you can avail um, data that you've worked with or that you have in your records, then that also helps in informing uh, what the story is. Because as opposed to now looking at text, you can also do stories in terms of visualizations of data, mapping, and also solutions, which is quite big and it's coming up. Thank you so much for that. Um, we will forward you information of our grantees so that whenever you're working on a story within the thematic area, you can reach out to them as a key, key what is it called? Key informant, right? Yes. Um, thank you so much, Ismail. Thank you, Rhoda. Thank you, everyone who attended. This was amazing. The questions are quite critical. Um, let's keep talking. You have the online platform, uh, voice online platform, to continue this discussion. Uh, for the Kenya grantees who were together, uh, please continue sharing, keep sharing, asking questions whenever you need. For Tanzania grantees, we'll be there within, in, in a few weeks. We look forward to interacting. We can continue the discussion there. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful day.